Isaiah 43. We're going to read from verse 1 down through verse number 4 to begin with. We'll see how far we make it tonight. I have used these verses many, many times when I'm dealing with someone in the hospital or going through a sickness or a family struggle. Let the Word of God comfort your heart tonight. Verse 1 says, But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for thee. Since thou wast precious in my sight, thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee. Therefore will I give men for thee, and people for thy life. The title of the Bible study tonight is A Faithful God to an Unfaithful People. Aren't we glad that God is faithful, even when we let Him down? And uh, He does not love us based on how we react or how we behave. He loves us based on His character. And I'm so glad for that, because uh, He would have kicked me to the curb a long time ago otherwise. Amen? How many of you are with me on that? He would have kicked you to the curb a long time ago too, right? Let's pray tonight. God, help us as we open the Bible and look at it and study it, Lord. Um, Uh, This passage is uh, uh, Jewish in nature. It's pointed at the Israelites. But Lord, uh, there are many applications that can be made into our lives. Help us tonight to cherish and value the Word of God. May it be a healing balm that's poured over a hurting heart. May it be a firm warning and correction to those who are wayward and obstinate. Lord, uh, help us to love Your Word. Help us to obey Your Word. Help us to be encouraged and grow from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So, when I was 17 years old, I was a uh, senior in high school. My father came to me and he said, um, I'd like for you to preach in high school chapel. And I had never preached a full-length sermon before. I had preached uh, in some preaching competitions as a teenage boy but those are no more than 10, maybe 15 minutes. This was going to be a 30-minute sermon. Uh, and I had never preached a sermon of that length ever in my life. And so I said, sure, I'll do it. And it was a good month out. And I was in the book of Isaiah in my Bible reading when he asked me that. And I had just begun the book of Isaiah. i got to tell you, as a 17-year-old boy reading through the book of Isaiah, I wasn't getting a whole lot. It was, uh, it was tough. How many of you ever read through a book like I did on your own and thought, how does pastor get anything out of this book? I just, I'm not getting anything. You know what I'm talking about? You read through and you go, this is tough. And as a 17-year-old, that's exactly how I felt. And I remember every day I would pray, Lord, give me a sermon that I can preach in high school chapel, preach to my peers in high school chapel. And uh, I was about four days away from preaching in chapel, and I told God that night, I said, if you don't give me something now, I'm just going to tell my father I can't do it. And that night, I opened my Bible to the 43rd Psalm, and I wept all the way through the chapter. 
Tears dripped off my cheeks as a 17-year-old boy sitting at that table at 602 May Street in Essex, Maryland, on to the pages of the Bible. And God gave me a sermon that I could preach to my peers in high school chapels. The first full-length sermon I ever preached was out of this chapter. And so I have a lot of sentimental connection with Isaiah 43. I don't have that sermon anymore. I wish I did. I wish I had it somewhere and, and I would I could just look back at it and see how poor homiletically of an outline it was and uh, how terrible of a sermon it was. I've grown a lot as a preacher since then. But all the same, God met with me that night at that dining room table and showed me a lot of things. And uh, God has used this passage since then to really show me oftentimes when I'm wayward and I'm unfaithful. Uh, I have, since I was 17 years old, I've had many seasons of life where I've not been a very good Christian, where I've not prayed, I've not read my Bible, where I have uh, maybe lived in lust, carnality, and I've let God down. And God brings me back to this chapter. Let me show you a verse here in the introduction uh, that I think on regularly when I'm living in sin or doing wrong. Look at verse 24. Thou hast brought me no sweet cane with with money, neither hast thou filled me with the fat of thy sacrifices. Look here. But thou hast made me to serve with thy sins. Thou hast wearied me with thine iniquities. As a 17-year-old boy, when I read that verse, I thought about the Holy Spirit of God living inside of me. And I thought about all of the times I do wrong. And here was the visual I got as a young man, and I've never lost this visual. It's like I'm dumping septic sewage on top of the head of the Holy Spirit of God who lives inside of me when I do wrong. I'm dumping sin down my proverbial throat all over the head of the Spirit of God. And He's sitting there in my heart, and He's weeping because He is forced to inhabit me as a Christian He's promised He would never leave me, and here I am doing wrong. But you know what? God doesn't say, I'm through, I'm done with this, I'm dropping you, I want nothing to do with you. No. God is faithful to love me anyway, even when I'm not faithful to Him. And we're going to look at um, four main thoughts over uh, the next couple of weeks. There's no way we'll get through this in one week. But again, on Wednesday nights, it's not about finishing the outline. It's about taking the time to really understand the Word of God. And so let's look at four thoughts about a faithful God to an unfaithful people. Number one, fill in the blanks as we go here. Number one, notice Israel's relationship. Israel's relationship. Look at verse number one. Let's look at verse number one. It says, But now thus saith the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, that created thee, O Jacob... And he that, I have these two words underlined in my Bible, formed thee. Notice that. He formed thee, O Israel. Fear not, for I have, then I have these words underlined, redeemed thee, formed thee, redeemed thee. Look here. I have, next two words, called thee. So we have formed thee, redeemed thee, and called thee. By by thy name, thou art mine. Aren't you glad to be property of the Lord Jesus Christ tonight? Thou art mine. And so he formed thee, he uh, created thee, or rather he formed thee, he redeemed thee, and he called thee. Thou art mine. Notice letter A, their adoption. Their adoption. Um, 
we know that Israel was chosen by God uh, specifically to send Jesus to this earth, uh, the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Chosen One, to die for us on the cross. Now, was Israel worthy of adoption? No. Boy, I tell you what, you go back and you look at Abraham. Abraham and his wife Sarah, back when they were called by God, it was Abram and Sarai, Genesis chapter 12, they were just regular people. Regular people. In fact, God gave Sarai a problem. He closed her womb so she couldn't have a baby. And God then said to them, hey, do you want to have a baby? You're talking about putting a carrot on the end of a string. He said, you want to have a baby? Then get up from where you're at and go to a land where I'll show you. And at some point, if you obey me, I will open up your wife's womb. And not only will I give you a baby, I will make you the father of a great nation. And all of the world will be blessed because of that. And you know what Abraham and Sarah did? They got up and they went along. Now, we are lazy in our memory of history. All right, Here's what I've learned about myself and about others. When we look back over an era of our life, we either label it as all good or all bad. If uh, a person treated you 55% good, then uh, you might think of them, you forget about the bad, you're lazy, and it's all good. If someone treated you 55% bad, then you forget about all the good they did for you, and they were a bad person. And uh, we can do that with Bible characters, right? I, I say the name Lot, and you think he was a bad guy. I guarantee you, if you follow Lot around for his whole life, there were some good days he had. I guarantee you there were some times he did some things that were right. But we think of Lot and uh, the incest with his daughters and them getting pregnant and, 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 and him going into Sodom and Gomorrah and the city getting burned and we automatically think everything bad about Lot. Hey, that's the lazy way to go about it. And with Abraham, we think Abraham was this great guy. You know, Abraham was the friend of God. And Abraham did a lot of things that were good. But you know, Abraham wasn't perfect. Did you know that twice Abraham went into a city and lied about his wife and had her taken away from him? and then received a ransom from the king as he left the city with his wife, he used his wife as bait to make himself richer. That ain't good, folks. Okay? Poor Sarah, right? And Sarah made her share of mistakes. I was talking to my wife about this last night. We were talking about Sarah, and she was giving me her opinion about Sarah, and, and uh, she was making some excellent points. Sarah, who said, hey, look, here's my, I can't get pregnant. Here's my handmaid. Go in and get her pregnant. What? Kind of dysfunctionality is that. I can't ever imagine my wife saying to me, hey, he, he, that, that would just never, ever, 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 ever happen, all right? And Abraham was not smart to say, okay, let's do it, right? Abraham was foolish. Look at all the pain he brought into his home and all of the hurt, right? What am I getting at here? Abraham did not deserve to be adopted by God and be turned into a nation. Uh, Abraham did not earn it. It wasn't Abraham's faithfulness that earned God's favor. It was God's character, and God chose Abraham uh, and anointed him. Now, uh, when you were adopted into the family of God, it wasn't because you were some great person. It wasn't because you came from great stock. It wasn't because your parents were moral or holy. It wasn't because you're an American or from wherever you were born. It was because God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten and son, we don't deserve the adoption, but by his grace, we're adopted. Amen. Uh, he look back at verse one. Notice there he formed thee, he redeemed thee, and he 
called thee by thy name. So we see letter A, their adoption. Notice letter B, their affliction. Their affliction. Not everything was easy corporately for the Israelites. Boy, God chose them, but then they sure went through some hard times. Look at verse number 2. The Bible says, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. You ever felt that way? You're like wading out deep through life's problems and at first, maybe it's at your ankles and you think, I can handle this. And then life's problems gets up to your knees and you think, oh, I'm, I'm a little wet, but I'm good. And then life's problems get up to your waist and you think, boy, this is beginning to get treacherous. And if the current picks up, it can carry me away. The next thing you know, it's chest high. And you think, oh, man, I'm going to drown. And the next thing you know, it's just right up to your chin. Life's problems. And you think, I'm about to die here. God, have you forgotten about me? And God says to Israel, and he also, I believe, says to us, when thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. Aren't you glad God does not forget about you when you're going through life's problems? It says, um, and through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. I think of uh, Israel there on the banks of Jericho. And when Moses held up the rod over the Red Sea, the water parted and then they walked through. But when they got to Jericho, God had the Levites pick up the ark and they had to actually get their feet wet before the waters parted. God said, get in the water and then I'll part the waters for you. They had to step into the Jericho River before God parted it. And sometimes God will part life's problems for you and you won't need a lot of faith to see the problems parted and taken away. Other times God says, I'm going to let you go a little ways in before I I part the the problems and, and step in and help you. Why? God's trying to grow us. Look there, it says, through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. Listen, God's not going to let the fire metaphorically burn you, but sometimes you might really feel the heat. You know what I'm talking about? Life might really get hot underneath you, and no one likes heat, right? Uh, I'm, I'm thankful for the fall. Fall is my favorite season. I have allergies in the spring. Okay, some people have allergies in the fall. I I don't. I thank God for that. If you have allergies in the fall, I feel pity for you. I have them in the spring. Okay, Uh, But uh, I love the fall time. I love the changing of the leaves. I love driving down the Merritt Parkway and seeing all the colors. Isn't it beautiful? And I love the weather. I don't necessarily love the summer. Okay, I don't mind summers in New England, but when I was a boy living in Alabama, I remember a three-week period, the heat index was over 120 every single day for three weeks. You just didn't go outside, right? You stayed in where the air conditioning was, right? Down in Arizona and New Mexico where the heat is dry, you can literally fry an egg on the sidewalk. That's how hot it is. It's a dry heat. And listen, uh, I don't like being out in the heat. You sweat, you're miserable, you're uncomfortable. Sometimes God makes you miserable. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Sometimes you've got relationships that are hard. Sometimes you've got people that just mistreat you. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's at home, right? Maybe you're just miserable inwardly because of some past mistakes you've made or, or sin you're currently in. And uh, it's hot. But you know what the Bible says? God's not going to let you get burned. He's there. He hasn't forgotten about you. Look at verse number 3. He says, For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. Underline those words, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for thee. Meaning, hey, look, I stepped in and ransomed you from uh, captivity, bondage in Egypt. I stepped in and helped you with Ethiopia and Seba. Hey, listen, I've not forgotten. Verse 4, since thou wast, and I love this, I have this underlined as well, 
Precious in my sight. Look at that. Precious in my sight. What's that word precious mean? It means it's valuable. If I look at Angela and I say, you're precious to me, that means I value you. You're, you're, you're cherished, right? I, I will hold my daughter my, on my lap and my arms sometimes, and I'll tell her, April, you're precious to me. I value you. You're, you're something that is to be uh, uh, coddled and looked after and taken care of. And God says, you, Israel, are precious to me. But I believe this. You, my friend, are precious to the Lord. Amen? Uh, look, look, in your time of affliction, it's important to remember you are precious to the Lord. Look at verse 4. Since thou wast precious in my sight, thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee. Therefore will I give men for thee and people for thy life. You know, Sometimes I think our greatest failure in life is a failure to understand God's love toward us. We, uh, I think a lot of people think God's getting ready to whack them over the head with a big stick. He's angry at them. Don't raise your hand, but I wonder how many of you in here grew up with an angry father who fly off the handle and uh, you just never knew how he was going to come home for work or what spirit he was going to have and he was mean and unkind. Maybe he had an angry mother who got emotional and irrational and yell and scream and holler. Maybe some of you now are married to a spouse who's that way. Treat your kids that way. Treat you that way. And we can get this warped view of God that he is just ready to fly off the handle and whack us. There is, I really hope you hear this. Please, not just with your ears, but with your heart. There is no moment where God is not in perfect emotional control. He's always under control. Anytime God chooses to punish you out of anger or wrath, it is premeditated and done with a very uh, specific purpose, and he does it in a way that's very careful, and he brings about and it yields a good result. You see, if I get angry at you, nothing good is going to come out of that. Because I'm not supposed to get angry at you, and you're not supposed to get angry at me. But if God gets angry at me, he yields good. He yields a good result. God is not looking to whack you upside the head. He only punishes us as much as he must. We are precious. Affliction comes into our life. Lastly, before I move on to letter C here, I want you to understand that God allows affliction so that we will grow. Do you understand that tonight? We live in a culture where kids are coddled on an extreme level. Hey, parents, let your kids struggle sometimes. It's good for them. Give your kids something to do that's a little bit harder than they're able to do and make them stay at it until they get it figured out. Hey, mommies, when your children go to school and get picked on, it ain't going to kill them. You hear me? All right? It's not going to kill them. Your kid goes into the nursery and gets bit. Don't come and say, we're leaving the church because my child got bit. You know what? One day a boss is going to metaphorically bite your child at work. If he can't handle it in the nursery, he's not going to be able to handle it in the work world. Okay? If your child gets bit in the nursery, I'll deal with Josh later. Amen? I mean, he named his son Samson after all. So he's got children up on the shoulders and spinning them around and Right, just like the pillars of the city, right? The walls of the city. And so I'm just picking on Josh back there. Um, 
God allows struggle because struggle grows us. Without struggle, we can't grow. You know, if I were to go to the gym and I were to lift weights, I would push against, uh, I would push against weight. And you know what? That resistance makes me stronger. And God brings resistance in your life to make you stronger. You say, Pastor, I can't handle anymore. Guess what? When you get to the point where you can't handle anymore, that's when you stop relying on yourself, and that's when you start relying on God. That's what He wants. He wants you to acknowledge Him in all your ways. He wants you to trust Him. We see Israel's relationship with God. We see their adoption. We see their affliction. Let her see. Notice their attention. Their attention. Look at verse number 5. I love the very first phrase of this verse. Fear not, for I... Read it with me. Fear not, for I am with thee. Isn't that beautiful? Fear not, for I am with thee. God's presence is meant to comfort us. I will bring thy seed from the east and gather thee from the west... I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, keep not back. Bring my sons from far and my daughters from the ends of the earth. I believe this is talking about the reunion of the Israelites during the millennial reign. Uh, Definitely uh, also applicable to when the Israelites came back to establish Jerusalem again under Cyrus. Verse 7, even every one that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. Um, here's what I want you to write down below that. These aren't in your notes per se, but you can jot these down. I believe they'll be up on the screen. Uh, notice about God's attention. Notice their attention. Notice God's constant attention on Israel. God's constant attention on Israel. Notice that. You know, God never ever took his eye off Israel. He never stopped caring for Israel. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, century after century, millennia after millennia, God continued to wake up every day, not that God sleeps, but you get what I'm saying. God continued every day to keep his eye on Israel and to look after them. He never, ever, ever stopped looking after his people. Constant, constant care, constant care. Finish this, finish this uh, famous phrase, okay? Familiar, familiarity breeds... Some of you don't pay attention to culture very much. Either that or you're just quiet on me. How many know what I'm saying? Familiarity breeds contempt. We become contemptuous. Contemptuous. What's that mean? We almost become antithetical or against or opposed, at the very least, aloof to those things by which we're familiar. And you know what? Uh, Let me illustrate it this way. Let's just say that a stranger showed up at your house every day at 7 a.m. for the next 365 days, and they knocked on your door, and you opened the door, and they handed you an envelope with a $100 bill in it. Every day for 365 days. They didn't say a word to you, and then they turned around and they left. They didn't tell you their name. They didn't tell you anything about them. They just gave you $100 every day for 365 days, and they left. And then on the 366th day, they knocked on your neighbor's door at 7 a.m. and they gave them $100. You know what you'd say? Hey, that's my $100. What are you giving it to them for? Yeah, you get used to it. And you know what? You begin to expect it. And then you cease to appreciate. And then we become entitled, right? 
How about your health? Are you entitled to good health? Nope. Nope. God could take your health away tomorrow and he'd still be a good God because you don't deserve good health. He can take away your health and still be a good God. Do you deserve a roof over your head? You do not. God could come tomorrow and burn your house to the ground. Allow it to be burnt to the ground. And he'd still be a good God. But you know what happens is God is good to us. God is especially good to us. We begin to take it for granted. And then we become contemptuous toward it. God's constant faithful attention on Israel. The same can be said about us. But notice below that, Israel's capricious attention on God. Israel's capricious attention on God. That word capricious just means very inconsistent. Very inconsistent. Sometimes Israel is all about God. Then the time Israel completely forgot God existed. Sometimes they worship God passionately. And then you turn around during other times and it's like, who is God? I don't even know who Jehovah is. And, 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 and other times it's the Ten Commandments and we'll obey them. And then there's other seasons where how many of these commandments can we break in one day? How many times can we break all ten in one day? They're faithful for a season. And then they are unfaithful. God's constant attention, and then Israel's capricious attention. I think back to Joshua, who stood up at the end of his life, and Joshua 24, he says to the Israelites, uh, uh, listen, choose ye this day whom ye will serve, whether the, whether the gods of the Amorites on the other side of the flood in whose land ye dwell, or, 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 or whether you'll serve the Lord. Uh, for as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And all of the Israelites' elders stood up and said, Joshua, we will serve God faithfully until we die. And Joshua said, choose your words carefully. And you know what? The Bible says that of those men there that day, those families there that day, they served God faithfully until they died. Last chapter of Joshua. Then you look at Joshua chapter, or Judges chapter 2, two chapters later, right at the beginning of the chapter, and it says, and there arose a generation who knew not Joshua or his God. And the entire country turned from God and did that which was right in their own eyes. And you know, that was one generation to the next. But how many of us, it's one season of life to the next. I'm all about God. I'm in church. I'm serving Him. I'm faithful. And then you turn around a decade later and you're, you've no church habit in your life. You're not reading your Bible or praying anymore. Uh, you got your, 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 your priorities out, all out of order. And then your life comes crashing down. And then, oh, I need to get back in church and loving God. You know what? Uh, none of us are ever going to get it all figured out. But I, I know this. I don't want to be in church one decade, out of church the next, uh, loving God passionately one decade, and then just, uh, just, just coasting by and sitting on the pew and doing very little. I want to be that Psalm 1 tree that's planted by the river of water that brings forth my fruit season after season after season. God's faithful even when we're not. I, I really want to drive this point home before we get on to number two. At White Oak Baptist Church, we teach this about the Bible because this is what the Bible says. God's love for you does not vary on your behavior. God's love for you is constant. If you go to church this Sunday, God loves you. If you stay home from church this Sunday, God loves you. Okay? If you, uh, 
If you witness to a hundred people over the next uh, month, God loves you. If you witness to nobody over the next month, God loves you. He doesn't love you any more or any less. He loves you the same. Let me illustrate it this way. My children bring home their report card from school. Should I love my children less if they make uh, C's than I do if they make A's? How many say, no, Pastor, you should not love your children less over a bad report card? Amen. You should not love your children less over a bad report card. You know what? That would be me choosing how much I love my children based on their performance. That's terrible parenting. I love my children the same whether they make all A's or all F's. Now, there's going to be some correcting going on if we're making all F's. How many of you are with me tonight? Okay? Especially because they're capable of more than all F's. But I'm going to love them the same. Now, God loves you the same whether you make an A at the Christian life or an F in the Christian life. But because God, because God loves you so much and He's so faithful to you, that should drive you to be the very best Christian for the Lord you should be. Amen? You shouldn't go to church this Sunday because God loves you, rather, so that God will love you. You should go to church this Sunday because God loves you. You shouldn't share the gospel with your friends and family uh, so that God will love you. You should do it because God loves you. This Saturday we'll gather and many of us will go out and preach the gospel. And you know what I have seen is that on Saturdays the Jehovah's Witnesses are everywhere. They're everywhere. Can I tell you the difference between us and the Jehovah's Witnesses? Jehovah's Witnesses are out there because they're doing it to earn God's love. And we're out there because of God's love. Now, that might just sound like a slight difference in language. I promise you, the motivation is totally different. Totally different. God is faithful. And you know what He wants back from us? He wants us to be faithful. He wants us to be faithful. We see Israel's relationship. Number two, notice God's reminder. God's reminder. We're going to do our best to make through this one before we get into uh, next week. We'll say three and four for next week. So, under point two, we're going to look at the second paragraph of chapter 43, verse 8 down through verse number 13. All right, let's look at an A, B, and a C here. Notice letter A, speaking about God. Notice His exclusivity. His exclusivity. Look at verse number 8. You all have done a great job listening tonight, even participating, and I appreciate that. Look at verse 8. Bring forth the blind people that have eyes... And the deaf that have ears. What's this talking about? Are they actually blind? Are they actually deaf? Are they physically blind and physically deaf? No. They're spiritually blind and spiritually deaf. You ever been... All right, hold on. I want, I want you to hear what I'm about to say before I get up, moving forward. You ever been living in a state of carnality and you came to church and you sat on the pew and the preacher's message went in one ear and out the other, and you didn't see the truths of the Bible because your heart was not in a good place when you came to church. Then you come to church a month later, and you've repented, and you've gotten your heart right, and you hear the preaching, and from the same preacher, and all of a sudden, you now have spiritual ears to discern and spiritual eyes to see. You know what I'm talking about? What happens is that we grow so cold toward God 
that we don't see and hear those things that He has for us. When you come to church, it would be wise for you to, to pray a prayer before you arrive at church or maybe right after you sit down in your pew. In fact, we even have a handful of people that come in and they kneel at their chair before the service, and I love it. But pray this prayer and say, Lord, help me to get out of the Word of God today what you have. May I have my heart and may I have my eyes and ears spiritually in tune to gather from God's Word. Now, in verse 8, what's going on here? They can't see or hear truth because of their own sin. They're spiritually deaf and they're spiritually blind. Look at verse number 9. It says, Let all the nations be gathered together and let the people be assembled who among them can declare this and show us former things. Let him bring forth their witness that they may be justified or let them hear and say... It is truth. Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servants who I, am chose, who I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand. Look here. That I am He. I have those three words circled. I am He. Before me, I have this underlined, there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and besides me, there is no Savior. There is no Savior. He says here, hey, look, uh, you look high and low. You look in the past and history. Uh, you look around you in the present. There is no God that's existed before me. Uh, I, someone once said, okay, you believe that God created the heavens and the earth. Well, who created God? And I'd say that is the dumbest question that I've ever heard asked. Nobody created God. He's the creator. He's always existed through eternity past. That's a shallow question from a shallow philosophy. Nobody created God. He is uh, uh, existing outside the realm of time. He is the creator of time. And He is exclusively uh, 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 Jehovah. He is the Almighty. He is the El Shaddai. He is the All-Powerful. He is exclusive. He deserves our praise. He deserves our attention. He deserves our focus. He deserves our worship because He and He alone is God. God is saying here, hey, as you waffle, as you waver, as you are capricious in your attention of me, knock it off and remember that I alone am God and I deserve your worship and your praise. So I've heard someone uh, make the argument one time that uh, God is a narcissist because God demands a constant praise. And I would say, no, no, no. You got it all wrong. God cannot be a narcissist because God uh, requests our praise because He is worthy of our praise. What makes me or you uh, narcissistic or proud is that we are stepping up and trying to take something from God that we don't deserve. Look what I did. Look how many tracks I passed out. Look how much of my Bible I read. Look how long I prayed. Look how godly I am. Look how strong I am. Look, where, look where all that I And God says, wait a minute here. You're just a tool in my hand to accomplish a greater purpose. You don't deserve any praise. It was the prophet that said... Uh, should the hammer rise up and say, look at the building I built? Right? I've got some tools in my basement uh, over at the uh, house over here that I use. And I've got some saws and, uh, and things. And if I were to go home tonight and I were to take a saw, turn that thing on, that table saw, and I were to cut up a bunch of wood and then uh, shut it off and leave, I can see my table saw talking to my chop saw and saying, yeah, look at all the work I did today and you did nothing. How silly. 
right? The table saw is nothing more than a tool that I use to accomplish a purpose. You and I are nothing more than a tool in God's hand to accomplish a greater good. We have no right to brag about anything we do. God is all-powerful, and we are weak. I was talking to Brother Andres today. I had a conversation with him today, and we were talking about just how replaceable we all are. I told Brother Andres this. I said, um, if I were to get into a car accident tomorrow or drop dead of a heart attack, and I was no longer able to be the pastor of White Oak Baptist Church, the reality is that within time, the church would form a committee, they would find a new pastor, they would vote him in, and the church would move on. The truth is, I am replaceable. All of us, any one of us is replaceable. Who are we to think so highly of ourselves? Who are we to worship anything and anyone other than God? I want to ask you a question before we move on to letter B here. Who do you worship? What do you worship? You show me where you spend your money, I'll show you who and what you worship. You show me uh, where you spend your time, I'll show you where you worship. How many hours do you spend in front of TV? How many hours do you spend scrolling social media? The average American adult looks at social media more than three hours a day. Do you even read your Bible for 30 minutes a day? We've got three hours for Facebook and Instagram, but we can't find 30 minutes for the Word of God. And we claim we don't have time to read our Bible or pray. Yet we say we love God, but we're more concerned about how many likes we have on a post than we are about how God's Word is changing our heart. Is God truly, exclusively our God, or do we worship at the altar of self? Do we worship at the altar of sin? Do we worship at the altar of pleasure? God's saying, hey, listen, I just want you to stop for a minute and remember as you waffle in your faithfulness to me, I alone am God. I created the world, and I created you, and I'm worthy of your worship. Let her be his evidence. Look at verse number 12. Verse number 12, he says, I have declared. Here we see uh, uh, three actions. I have noted three actions in this chapter where God is laying out his evidence for why he is exclusively God. I have declared. Look here. And have Saved, and I have showed uh, when there was no strange God among you, therefore you are my witnesses, saith the Lord, that I am God. He says, Listen, I have stated it out loud in the Word of God. I have saved, ransomed, rescued you, and I have put it on display in many, many, many ways. Uh, I often, oftentimes it's been displayed throughout your history that I alone am your God. I am worthy of your worship. I think about all of the miracles throughout Israeli history up to this point that had been performed. I've mentioned many of them on Sunday beginning with the parting of the Red Sea and uh, the, uh, the flint rock that put forth water twice and the manna that fell from heaven and all of those things that God did. And God said, I alone am worthy. I have evidenced this many, many, many times and yet you still don't want to worship me. I want to make it personal to each one of us tonight. 
You listening? Think back through the history of your life. How has God made himself real and powerful to you? Was there a time in your life where you say it was a supernatural event where God stepped in and helped me in a time of struggle? How many of you can think of a time where God stepped in and helped you through a time of struggle? Then why do we waffle in our faithfulness to him when he's so faithful to us? I remember a time where I had no money, no money. I had no idea how I was going to pay rent. No idea. And I began to beat myself up. You spent too much money eating out, and you spent too much money on soda at Target, and, and, and you bought this, and you bought that, and, and now God's just going to let you get evicted and kicked out because you were so wasteful with your money, and you didn't even tithe. This wasn't any time recent, amen. I've been tithing for years now. This is early in my Christian life, all right? And I thought, surely God is not going to come through for me because I've not, I've not been faithful to Him. And you know what? Lo and behold, <laughs> through very supernatural ways, God dropped the rent money I needed in my lap at the last minute. I had not been faithful to God, but yet He was still faithful to me. Brought tears to my eyes. And you know what? That drove me to be faithful to Him. Why is it that we struggle to be faithful to God when He is so faithful to us? All the evidences. Letter C, we'll finish with this one tonight. Notice His eternality. His eternality. God is just reminding us exclusively that He is God. All the other little g-gods of the earth, they don't deserve our worthy or our worship. They're not worthy of our worship or our praise or our time or our attention. Surely, as flawed as we are, uh, we shouldn't worship ourselves in lieu of God. We should worship God and keep him first. Uh, there's plenty of evidence of that. And then God points to his own eternality. Look at verse 13. Uh, yea, look here. Before the day was, I am he. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. I will work, and who shall let it? He says, before there was even day, I am. Before there was even a 24-hour period, I am. Before that, uh, the, the sun ever existed, I existed. God says, I've been around before time, and I'll be around after time is no more. He's eternal. He's eternal. Someone said, you can't outlast him, and he's not going to resign. All right? He isn't going anywhere. He's on the throne. He'll never be dethroned. He's not in, he's, he can't impeach him. Uh, either, right? He's going to be there forever. And He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our faithfulness. Now tonight, or tomorrow, rather, excuse me, next week, we're going to finish out uh, this Bible study. But here's what I want to encourage you with. Uh, I want to encourage you uh, with this challenge of do your very best to be faithful to God this week. Now, it's important that we're faithful to God. And I said this Saturday morning in our outreach meeting. It's important that we're faithful to God, not so that we can earn His love, it's important that we're faithful to God because of His love. Amen? You can't earn His love. you got as much of His love as you're going to get, regardless of your behavior. But boy, because He loves you so, you should go forth and be faithful to Him. Amen? Let's not waffle or waver. Let's be faithful to God. He's faithful to us. Tomorrow morning, get up, read your Bible. Spend a few minutes in prayer. Throughout the day, acknowledge Him in all your ways. Tell Him you love Him. Ask Him to help you through your struggles and trials. How many right now are battling some sort of either health problem or relationship problem 
or work problem? Would you raise your hand? Okay, as you face that problem, don't face it alone. When, it, when, when you feel overwhelmed by it, the water, the fire, the river, seems like it's going to overtake you, stop and pray and say, Holy One of Israel, Almighty God, I'm precious in Your sight. I need Your help right now. You're faithful to me. Help me to turn to You and be faithful to You. You carry me through this problem. You give me the emotional strength I need to maintain and manage. Amen? Let's stand to our feet tonight. Let's be faithful to a God who is faithful to us.